are listening to the Plano Pulse, a Plano Chamber podcast keeping you in tune with the heartbeat of the local business community. It's time for the Plano Pulse. We here at the Plano Chamber are working hard on our 2021 events now. We would love to partner with you as a sponsor, buy virtual tables for your employees, and many other ways. We'd love to connect with you and get you more information on how you can partner with us on these great events. Find out more at planochamber.org or contact any Plano Chamber staff. Thank you for joining us for Plano Pulse. I'm Katie Jimenez, Director of Marketing and Communications for the Plano Chamber. And I'm Emily Sue, 2021 Chair-Elect of the Board for the Plano Chamber. Emily, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to have you with me behind the mic. This will be a little preview for you for when you're the host next year. So I hope you have fun and <laughs> thanks again for being here this morning. Um, let's kick things off by introducing everyone to our guest today. Jason Isom is the Director of Integrated Behavioral Health for Children's Health and has been with the organization since 2016. Jason is licensed as a marriage and family therapist in Texas and is a certified case manager. He earned a Master of Science in Counseling Psychology from California Baptist University and a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology from the University of California, Los Angeles. Jason, thanks so much for joining us on Plano Pulse. It's my pleasure to be here. Jason, we're so excited to have you join us and share your expertise with our listeners today. Can you start by explaining what you do in your role as the Director of Integrated Behavioral Health for Children's? Absolutely. So in my role as the Director of Integrated Behavioral Health, uh, my job is to lead our behavioral health programs that are community facing and that are established with uh, trusted community relationships. Um, so typically and historically, Children's has had behavioral health programs uh, in our inpatient hospital setting or in our ambulatory setting. But in our programs, we take behavioral health services to where kids live, where they work and where they go to school. And so um, the idea there is to make behavioral health care accessible and to leverage trusted community relationships to create greater access for kids. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much for that. That overview, it sounds like a really exciting role. You would be the perfect person to ask this question. Um, just to start us off, what is the current state of youth mental health in North Texas today? Okay, that's a great question. And I know it's, it's one that's on uh, everyone's mind. Our legislature is currently meeting and uh, they're discussing that very question. And so one of the things that we know is that uh, Mental Health America has recently re released their newest report. And what they have found is that it, since 2019, there's been a 9% increase in adolescents ages 11 to 17 who are struggling with major depression and severe anxiety. Um, and I can tell you that that percentage mirrors what we are seeing here locally in our programs as well. Uh, additionally, uh, something that's really staggering is that there uh, over 50% of uh, teens uh, struggle with thinking about suicidal thoughts uh, at some point during their day uh, over the last year. And, and that, that percentage is continuing to increase. It was increasing prior to the pandemic and has continued uh, to increase during the pandemic. And so uh, there are a lot of challenges facing our youth in terms of their behavioral health uh, currently. Jason, obviously this past year has been pretty difficult and challenging for everybody, including our young people, as you were just mentioning. How has the COVID-19 pandemic affected children and teens' mental health overall? 
that's a great question, Emily. And I think in many ways, the jury is still out on that in terms of uh, what the long-term effects will be. But we, what we certainly have seen thus far is that teens are struggling with social isolation and loneliness. Um, there's also been increased stressors on families uh, due to that disconnectedness from their, their support groups. Also, there's been job loss uh, and anxiety around uh, finances. Uh, not to mention the fact that you now have families that are having to be together uh, for eight hours a day that historically they may not have had to. And so they're having to learn how to relate to one another in those new roles. Parents are having to um, adjust to new roles as well, uh, learning how to be a remote worker, uh, learning how to educate their kids remotely and being much more involved in that process. They're not, you know, just simply sending them off to school. Um, they're, have to, they're having to be actively engaged in that educational process as well. And so there have been lots of, of stressors that have put on families and teens and children uh, over the past year. So in light of the increase in mental health struggles, as you're, you're telling us, um, so how is Children's Health addressing the impact of these issues? Yeah, well, thank you for asking that, Katie. And Children's has launched two new programs uh, in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, the first one is called the Child Psychiatry Access Network, and it is a telephonic consultative resource designed for primary care pediatricians. One of the, one of the realities that we face in our state and indeed across the nation is that there is a shortage of child and adolescent psychiatrists, uh, particularly those who accept uh, government payments, so Medicaid, Medicare, those types of things. And because of that, there are often long waiting lists to see a psychiatrist, and it's difficult to find uh, psychiatrists uh, when patients have psychiatric needs. And so one of the strategies that the Texas State Legislature identified was to engage, to educate, and to energize the primary care uh, pediatric workforce to be able to treat uh, anxiety and depression and ADHD and those types of things in the primary care setting. Uh, our, our friends at UT Southwestern have indicated that up to 75 to 80% of common behavioral health issues can be successfully treated in the primary care setting. So Jason, who has access to the school-based telebehavioral health programs in CPAN? So there's a couple things there. The CPAN program, again, is designed for primary care pediatricians and nurse practitioners and uh, physician assistants. And so anyone who's providing primary care services to uh, children uh, are, are able to access uh, CPAN. Uh, here locally, uh, we provide that service through uh, UT Southwestern, but CPAN is a statewide program. And so no matter where the provider is in the state, they will have access to those services. Additionally, uh, the state has also identified schools and telehealth as a viable strategy to increase access to mental health services for kids. And so the state launched a program called the Texas Child Health Access Through Telemedicine Program, or TCHAT for short. And TCHAT, again, is a telemedicine program that's designed to increase access to behavioral health services uh, for children by connecting them through their school. And so at Children's Health, we've been doing a version of that since 2017. And I'm proud to say that we were one of the models for the statewide TCHAT initiative. And so uh, back in 2019, uh, Senator Nelson's staff came and visited our program at one of our local campuses. 
and they were able to learn about our program and took that back to Senator Nelson. And, and really our program became a model along with one in Texas at Texas Tech and one out of Galveston as well for the statewide implementation of this telemedicine, telehealth initiative called TCHAT that's based in schools. The idea there is that you want to leverage that trusted relationship that parents have and children have with schools to provide greater access to care and, and using a, a telehealth or a virtual modality so that we can scale that across our region. Currently, uh, we are in over 205 campuses. 157 of those have been launched here recently uh, through the TCHAT initiative, and we had 48 campuses prior to that in our legacy school-based telebehavioral health program. So we serve a nine-county region here in North Texas, uh, including Collin County, and, and, we're, and we're continuing to expand that even over the next weeks and months. So in addition to the CPAN program, uh, Children's Health has also launched the Texas Child Health Access through Telemedicine or TCHAP program. Um, in our last legislative session, uh, our legislature identified uh, telehealth and uh, the relationship with schools as a primary force to provide greater access to behavioral health care across the state. And so at Children's Health, along with UT Southwestern, we launched the uh, TCHAT program uh, in 2020 as well. Well, that is incredible. Um, we, we have more questions for Jason, including his advice for parents of children experiencing mental health challenges. Uh, we'll be right back with more Plano Pulse. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining the Plano Pulse podcast today. Please be patient with us, and you may hear a few imperfections as we record virtually. We look forward to getting back to recording in person soon. Enjoy. Welcome back to Plano Pulse. We're joined today by Jason Isom, Director of Integrated Behavioral Health of Children's Health. Thanks again for being here, Jason. Well, thank you for having me. So Jason, tell me, um, are students that spent the entire year learning virtually at a higher risk for mental health issues? What are you seeing around the, the virtual learning? That's a great question, Katie. And, and I think in many ways, uh, the risk associated with the virtual learning are, are still being assessed in terms of long-term effects. But I think one of the things that we're seeing, particularly in our school referrals, uh, are that uh, children are likely to suffer from moderate to moderately severe levels of depression and uh, moderate to moderately severe levels of anxiety as well. Um, I think that is primarily due, due to social isolation and loneliness. Um, that is what we're seeing across the board, uh, not only with children and teens, but the parents as well, that we're all struggling with being socially disconnected and not having that connection with our peer support group. And so certainly I think there are risks associated with virtual learning from a social perspective. I think in, in many cases, families have found that virtual learning is a, is a great model for their children uh, to learn academically, depending on the particular child. And so my advice would be to assess uh, the, the impact of the virtual learning model on your particular child, uh, speak with uh, your child's pediatrician and uh, really get to know what that effect might be having on your child in terms of their social development and their emotional development as well. And really the parents can then weigh what's best for their child moving forward. I mean, it's so true what you're saying about social isolation. I think that you know, considering myself kind of a low-key person, liking to be at home, and then all of a sudden you're only at home and you're only by yourself, it makes a big difference. And I you know just coming back into the office, you know, your mood just 
instantly is lifted up by, you know, social battery charge. So I, I definitely feel so much sympathy for our kids today um, who really need that social interaction. Um, so tell me, you know, we're, we're getting better with the vaccine rollout. Things are kind of hopefully going to be a little bit more open coming into the fall. So how can parents and school staff help students successfully integrate back into the classroom? Yeah. So I think the number one thing that they can do is to manage their own anxiety. And so to seek appropriate help and support uh, for their own fears, uh, their own worries about that reintegration. Uh, you know, children and teens often take their emotional and behavioral cues from the adults around them. And so if we can create a safe, structured environment uh, for children and teens to reintegrate back into the, into the school system in person, um, and uh, the adults that are involved in that process are calm and confident that it's going to be a safe experience, then children will definitely take those cues. A couple of things that adults and parents can do very specifically is one, uh, begin to work children back into an in-person routine. Um, I know that even in my own house, when we went from virtual to in-person learning uh, late last fall, uh, we had to make some adjustments because uh, the boys had been used to, you know, that virtual learning schedule. They didn't have to get up as early to get to school. Um, you know, they had a little more flexibility with their schedule. Uh, the school day wasn't quite as long for them. And so we had to begin setting a routine so that making sure that they went to bed early and on time, uh, making sure that they got up in time to provide plenty of, uh, of, of time to get ready and not feel rushed and anxious about that. We also want to make sure that uh, parents can limit um, kids' access to screen time. Again, when you're when you're virtual learning all day, you know our brains need a, a chance to refresh away from the screens, and so making sure that in terms of gaming or uh, social media or you know just apps on their phone making sure that parents are monitoring and limiting that uh, screen time as, again, they're reintegrating back into uh, the school setting. That will help with kids being able to sleep, uh, getting a better night's rest, and those sorts of things, which will be a huge factor as they think about uh, moving back into in-person learning. Um, and then the other thing, too, is being, being aware of you know, what their students' emotional state is with respect to going back into school. So having open conversations about, okay, so we're getting ready to go back to school. What are some of the things that you're worried about? And if your kids are younger and they're not able to articulate that, perhaps maybe you can ask them to draw a picture of what they think it might be like. Um, and I would encourage uh, parents and, te and teachers to have kids uh, envision what their best day would, would look like. So when you go back to school and, you, and if you had the greatest day ever, what would that day be like? And have them talk about that have them draw a picture of that. Uh, and then they can take that with them as they go into their uh, school in, in person environment. I tell you what, I'm, I'm especially once you have children, especially young children at home, and then they go back to school, you, you respect and honor those teachers even more than we did before. They're amazing at what they have done and what they're continuing to do during this, this pandemic and these challenging times. So Jason, what would, what is the outlook like for our children whose mental health has been impacted during these times? Do you expect there to be any long lasting effects? Yeah, Emily, I think in, in many ways, the jury is still out on, on what the long-term effects of this pandemic will be, not only in our children 
uh, and teens, uh, but also on our families and our communities. And so, you know, I think one of the things that uh, we can think about in those terms is that children are remarkably resilient. One of the things that we know about resilience in children is that the most important factor for kids to develop resiliency skills is that they have a trusted, caring adult that pays attention to them. And so in the busyness of our lives, if we can create time and space to pay attention to our kids, to listen to our kids, to give them an opportunity to give voice to their feelings and their experiences. And again, if we can do that through artistic expression, or if we can do that through conversation, uh, all of those are, are really good things. And so I have a, a lot of hope and a lot of faith in kids and their ability to be resilient. And it's up to us as adults to create those environments that will help them uh, develop those resiliency skills. Kind of starting to wrap up, Jason, what's the one piece of advice that you would give to parents in regards to their children's mental health during these times? If I may take a little liberty and, and, and give two. Um, the first one is uh, for parents uh, and teachers too. Uh, you know, we've heard this as we were just discussing a moment ago that, that teachers have really struggled through all of this as well. They've had to, had to learn new ways to educate kids and, and worried about keeping them safe. And I know that they've been through a lot this year, uh, parents as well. And so the analogy I would give is when you're on a plane and, you know, we all listen to the, the flight attendants give us that safety speech at the beginning, right? That if, if there's an emergency and you're in the mask drop down and you need to get that oxygen mask, make sure you put that oxygen mask on your own face before you put that on your child. And so the lesson there is that you need to take care of yourselves. And so I would encourage parents, teachers to uh, reach out to their support networks uh, to gather uh, around themselves those, those things and those people that help them feel good about who they are and what they're going through and what they're doing, uh, whether that's their peers, whether that's you know, professional and therapeutic resources. Um, you know, many employers will have employee assistance programs available uh, to them to help with those sorts of things. Reach out to that, to that support network that you have. And if you don't have one, you know, find it, Google it, take care of yourself and make sure that you engage on a daily basis in those things that help you feel grounded and secure in who, who you are and what you're doing. So that would be point one. The second thing would be, uh, again, to create safety uh, and space for kids to give voice to how they're experiencing these transitions. And so being able, being willing to listen, uh, remaining calm and, and allowing kids to express that. But again, just remember that they're going to take a lot of their cues from how the adults are responding. And so if adults can get that support that they need and create that safe space for kids, they'll respond much more uh, efficiently. That's amazing advice, Jason. Thank you so much. We are about out of time, but before we go, is there anything else you would like to add? And how can our listeners get in touch with Children's for more information on these issues? Well, thank you, for, Emily, for allowing me to be here with you both today. Um, it's been certainly been my pleasure. Again, Children's Health has two programs that are designed to meet the behavioral health needs of, of children and adolescents uh, through this pandemic. One is the CPAM program, the other is the TCHAT program. So uh, as parents are concerned about their kids, ask their primary care pediatrician if they participate in CPAM. And if they don't, ask them to, to enroll and to utilize the CPAN program so that they can 
provide behavioral health care in the primary care practice. Same thing with their school. If their school is participating in TCHAT or a school-based telebehavioral health program, they can ask their school counselor for a referral. And if their school is not uh, participating in TCHAT or the school-based telebehavioral health program, they can certainly reach out uh, to us at Children's. The best place to get hold of us is www.childrens.com. Our, our school-based program has a webpage on the .com page. It's www.childrens.com backslash telebehavioral. Uh, you can also reach us uh, uh, through Facebook uh, and, and the other social media channels as well. Well, that's about all the time that we have for today. Jason, thank you again so much for taking the time out of your schedule to join us. You shared so much valuable information for our parents, our teachers. Um, I hope that everyone of our members listens to this and shares this. This was really, really wonderful. And thank you so much to you and your team at Children's for all of the work that you do in our community to support our children. We, we really are grateful. Thank you, Katie, and thank you, Emily. Interested in reaching our Plano Pulse listeners? Support the Plano Chamber and the podcast by becoming a sponsor. Contact the Chamber team to learn more. Thank you so much for tuning in to Plano Pulse. Please let us know what you think, share with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to tune in for our next episode. Hey, everyone. Kelly Marcellus here, your president and CEO of the Plano Chamber. Are you looking to kickstart your Friday morning with dozens of local business owners and professionals? Set your alarm and join us for our weekly business interchange meetings for virtual networking worth waking up early for. Meetings are held at 7.30 a.m. every Friday morning on Zoom. Join us and share your 30-second commercial promoting your business and be the first to hear what's going on with other local businesses. Visit planochamber.org to learn more and we'll see you next Friday.